You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Just Aaron and yours truly uh, today. May have a guest a little bit later on in the program. Uh, still efforting uh, to get that done. Uh, just haven't had a lot of response here uh, early this morning. But we got a lot to, to, to talk about. We've got the Maryland game from last night, the Trent Williams news from yesterday. Um, something that a draft expert that I actually respect said about Chase Young. Uh, we'll get to that. But I'm going to start with this, Aaron, because I saw this just moments ago. So... Michigan State football, uh, as most of you know, has a job opening because um, to me, uh, and I really believe this over the years, that that Michigan State has been one of those football programs that has sort of been under the radar but really good in part because they've been very well coached. They did make the playoff that one year when they got routed by Alabama. The Connor Cook year, I believe. The Connor Cook year. But I've been a huge Mark D'Antonio fan for a long time. I think he's a hell of a football coach. I think that's one of those teams that always overachieved. Um, and he uh, retired. And, and there's some you know there's some issues there with various things going on in the program that may have accelerated his retirement. But D'Antonio's gone. And this morning, Michigan State hired uh, Colorado's uh, coach, Mel Tucker, to be the new coach at Michigan State. And I saw this tweet that came out um, just a a few moments ago from a guy that we've heard from recently a lot because he did not get into the Hall of Fame, and that is one of the great all-time Dallas Cowboy receivers, Drew Pearson. Drew Pearson tweeted out the following about Mel Tucker, the Colorado coach who is now the new head coach at Michigan State. In Capital letters, Drew Pearson. Mel Tucker is a con man, exclamation point. He recruited my grandson to go to see you and said he wasn't going anywhere, and then he ups and leaves, sat there and lied to my face that he wasn't going anywhere, exclamation point. So I want to beat him up today (laughs) on social media. What else can I do, question mark? Well, as far as what else you can do, here's what you do. You go back to October when there was, you know, a lot of talk about the transfer portal. Mel Tucker said there is no transfer portal in real life as a reason to be against players transferring. Apparently there is a transfer portal in real life. Yeah, uh, there is certainly for coaches. Um, So, you know, it's funny about Drew Pearson. I never remember Drew Pearson, and I'm not a Cowboys fan, obviously, but as a Redskins fan, pretty close, you know, to the Cowboys. All all of these fan bases in in that division, we sort of know uh, a lot of the history and a lot of the players for the Eagles and the Giants and the Cowboys. We know a lot about each other over the years. You know, it's it's the old saying, you know, keep your you know, your friends close and your enemies closer. And we've always done that with, with each other. Um, I never remember Drew Pearson to be this sort of emotional guy. He was so emotional when he and really pissed off when he didn't get inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, a couple of, uh, of weeks ago. And here he is talking about his grandson uh and he man people people are all over this this thing i mean drew pearson you know who is now got to be approaching right he he's got to be approaching 70 years old at this point looks great um we saw him a a few weeks ago but i would think 69 years yeah 69 years old um 
he has uh, Drew Pearson has just twenty thousand followers on Twitter. You know, for you know a Super Bowl champion and an all time you know uh, fan favorite of the Cowboys, and maybe he just got on Twitter. I don't know, and maybe that's the reason for it. But he's had. 2,000 likes to this tweet, 293 responses. People are going nuts, and a lot of people uh, also very upset uh, with Mel Tucker because apparently he tweeted out the other day, Tucker did, that he was not going to leave Colorado Well, and apparently, <clears throat> when Michigan State approached him. Apparently he did turn them down. He was one of their first choices, which I'm still not exactly sure how he's r- risen so quickly. Me it's not like Colorado had a great season last year, but he was one of their first choices. He turned them down. And after the fickle disaster and everything else, they came back with just a godfather offer. Yeah, they, they came back with, a, obviously, uh, it was an offer that he could not turn down, ultimately. And um, Mel Tucker is the new coach at Michigan State. And uh, Drew Pearson uh, is not happy because Mel Tucker told his grandson that he would be there. Uh, this just in, Drew Pearson, this happens all the time. Coaches, when they tell your grandson or your son that they're going to be there that is their intention they 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 mean to stay there you can't recruit by telling potential recruits hey man there's a chance i won't be here it's not the way it works when you're selling a recruit you're selling a recruit on you and the program and the stability of the program you can't get somebody to commit to your program by saying, especially if they're a good player, hey, look, I might be here, I might not, but we'd really love to have you here, whether I'm here or not. Um, and it looked like he really had to be convinced uh, with a with a, an incredible offer to take the Michigan State job. Anyway, um, that's what we start the show with this morning, uh, this afternoon, this evening, whenever it is that you're listening to the show. It was great to be back yesterday with Tommy. Um, uh, we, we had a lot to talk about, and the thing that we did not get to, and it, it just totally slipped our minds, because we got to a lot of things on the show yesterday, <clears throat> is that late last night was the 30-year anniversary of James Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson. I can't believe that we did not address that on the show yesterday. We will do that on tomorrow's show. I'll wait for Tommy to get back. It doesn't mean that we can't you know, reminisce about 30 years ago. I will just say this. For me, as a sports fan, it's the single most surprising, stunning, shocking moment I have ever had as a sports fan watching a sporting event. You know, I, I did not see, um, and nobody saw, the the Americans beating the Russians in the Olympic semifinal game live because it wasn't shown live. I remember... Um, being told the result, you know, it's spoiler alert, but wanting to hear it anyway, um, that the Americans had pulled off the upset against Russia. There was nothing, nothing like the surprise of James Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson on that night in Tokyo 30 years ago. It was, he was such a dominant, um, you know, athlete, and personality and people who had stepped into the ring with him prior to James Buster Douglas were afraid. They feared for their life. And so almost every fight of Tyson's was over almost as quickly as it started. Carl the Truth Williams was his last fight prior to the Douglas fight. It was over in 93 seconds. Um, Every one of his fights started with, you could see, the other fighter being scared to death. And the thing that I'll never forget about that night and watching it, two things. One, how much bigger Buster Douglas was than Mike Tyson. He was a big man, athlete, 6'4", 
240 pounds, just hulking over Mike Tyson. That didn't matter, though, to Tyson previous to that. The second thing that became very apparent early in that fight is that James Buster Douglas was not afraid. He was going to hit back. And it turned uh, a night of just sort of ho-hum, expecting the 42-1 to underdog to go out meekly into the Tokyo night uh, as Tyson, you know, this was not even a built-up fight. He was a massive favorite in the fight, and instead it turned it into, uh, because of his lack of fear um, and his ability to overcome whatever and fight back, it turned it into one of the most memorable sports nights in history, and I think, still to this day, the biggest sports upset uh, in sports history, odds wise, it probably is at forty-two to one. Um, you know, the, the the Jets were a seventeen, eighteen point underdog against the Colts in Super Bowl three. Ali was just an eight to one underdog against Sonny Liston in their uh, first fight. Buster Douglas was a forty-two to one underdog. Uh, we will do more on this because I want to do it with Tommy tomorrow. I just can't believe we forgot that uh, yesterday. Um, and, you know, that's your job, Aaron. Your job as a producer. Hey, uh, it's the 30-year anniversary of Douglas Tyson. I'm sorry. I just got so caught up with you guys talking about everything that <laughs> slipped my mind. Everything else. Um, all right. Let's get to uh, some of the bigger topics of the day. We'll start with the Maryland game last night, and then we'll get to the Trent Williams news, which we got sort of late in the podcast yesterday. I have some thoughts on that. Uh, last night was... I didn't feel going into the game, let me be clear on this, that that it was one of those, you know, prototypical trap games. You know, because Maryland was an 18-point favorite. You know, for me, when I think about trap games, I usually look at a point spread and I see a team coming off a big win like Maryland against Illinois, and then I see Vegas recognizes recognizes the game to be a bit of a trap because maybe the opponent is a little bit better than people think, and Maryland's like only a seven point favorite at home, you know. And then I'd be like, look out, this is a trap game. But they were eighteen point favorites last night. Why? Because Nebraska had basically lost eight in a row coming in, and a lot of those games were in blowout fashion. The Big Ten's exceptional this year. There's not a better league in the country, top to bottom, than the Big Ten. But the bottom includes Northwestern and Nebraska, and probably Nebraska being the worst of those two teams, even though they've got two Big Ten wins and Northwestern only has one. Now, Nebraska was pretty close uh, recently against Rutgers. Uh, They had a lead against Rutgers and lost the game on the road. It's not that they haven't had chances in some games, um, they won at home against Iowa. Uh, they also won at home against Purdue much earlier in the season. Um, but you know they're going through new coach. Um, you know in Fred Hoiberg, a lot of new players, and this should have been a blowout for Maryland last night, and it wasn't. And um, it, it's not because it was a trap game. It was because Maryland just played poorly, and I think because they got a big lead early, Aaron. You know, they really thought at that point going into the second half, this was going to be an easy coast to like a 20-point win and a night off for the first time in a while. Um, I think if that game had been tighter through most of the first half and they hadn't extended their lead to 13 at halftime, you know, maybe maybe the Terps would have come out with sort of more urgency and blown them out in the second half. But they gave up 45 points in the second half. And they missed free throws at the end that gave Nebraska the ball down one with 11 seconds to go mm-hmm. in that game. And, 
the uh, it, it was. I don't know how you felt watching it live on TV. I uh, watching it on TV. I just said with Anthony at the line missing that first free throw. I just said, "You've got to be kidding me!" When Nebraska got the rebound and they're bringing the ball up court, thinking because that was the only possession, mm-hmm. the only possession they had. You know, down the stretch where they could potentially take the lead. Yeah. You know, they Maryland had had a ten point lead that they gave up there in the final three you know plus minutes of the game, and um, here comes Nebraska down with a chance to take the lead and win the game, and it would have been one of the bigger upsets of the year. You know, certainly in in league play with them being an eighteen point underdog, and their uh, their point guard um, Cam Mack. Once he started, once you you saw that he was going to keep it and he was going to drive it to the rim, and Sticks was already in position. I did think there was a chance Sticks was going to take it and throw it. Yeah, which he did. He got a piece of it, blocked the shot, got the rebound, and Maryland held on for the win. A great block too. I think people are kind of underestimating that because he saw that Sticks was there. That wasn't just going for it. He tried to arc it over Sticks, but Sticks oh, yeah. got high up there. Sticks is an elite shot blocker. Yeah. Elite in, in college basketball. Just as a quick aside, you know, remember earlier in the year we were looking at um, NBA mock drafts and we were saying, you know, Sticks is late second. Aaron Wiggins isn't even on the list. Boy, how things change quickly because Sticks Smith now um, is pretty much uh, across the board a projected first rounder. Um, that that has changed quickly from you know November and December. Um, but I've seen him anywhere from 17 to like 27 in the first round, and I've seen Aaron Wiggins showing up actually in a lot of second round mock drafts now, um, where he wasn't on anybody's board. Uh, earlier in the year, he was on people's boards last year, and then he came off. A lot of boards, right. um, but um, anyway, it got, got sidetracked there. Just if people, you know, are thinking there's a chance that Jalen's going to be back, he's not. He's going to be a first round pick, as he should be. A, a, a true stretch four, you know, at six ten, six eleven, can really shoot it um, with long arms and very much a guy that uh, can block shots. You know, he's not going to be a special player in the NBA. Um, but he's an NBA player for sure. Yeah, I mean, which is uh, on another aside here, a really good thing for the NCAA because they need some first rounders in the NCAA tournament. If you go through the list right now, there are not a lot of players projected in the first round that are, are going to be in the tournament. Yeah, uh, Obi Toppin is. Well, Obi Toppin is yes, obviously. I mean, Nico, I'm just thinking about the very top of the draft. Yeah, the, I mean, the very top of the draft. You have Anthony Edwards at Georgia, not going to be there. Lamelo Ball, obviously not going to be there. James Wiseman, obviously not going to be there. Oh, Obi yeah. Toppin is the guy, and then you got like Tyrese Halliburton and Tyrese. Well, Tyrese Maxey will be there, but um, there, there's just Maxey like, from Kentucky. Yeah, but there's a lot of guys. Uh, obviously, RJ Hampton's in Australia. Cole Anthony's not going to be there. Right. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of players in the lottery who are that not matters? playing. The I think that for the casual viewers, there are a lot of people who are. I. It won't really matter. Like obviously, the March Madness is March Madness, but I do think there are people who are starting to turn into, hey, okay, who's going to be on my NBA team this year when they get to the NCAA tournament? A lot of casual. I think fans. it hurts the NBA more than it hurts the college tournament. I think the NBA benefits from these guys becoming stars during March. That's true as well. It's definitely a symbiotic relationship. Because I, I, I think when you get to the NCAA tournament nowadays, um, it's a standalone event. It's the biggest event in college basketball. It's m- much bigger 
in one month than it was in the four months that preceded it. You know, the majority of people watching the NCAA tournament were not paying attention to the college basketball regular season. And they don't know what the latest mock draft board says. I, I think that's that's people like you and me understand what we're watching when we get to the tournament in terms of who's going to be you know highly selected and who isn't. But I think most people are focused on you know their brackets, you know, and and the NBA benefits from these guys becoming stars in March. Um, I, I just think that there are. I'm not one of them, but there are a lot of NBA first fans. Who, I, I mean, I've, I've been told this before, guys who just don't really care about college basketball who are kind of saying, well, why do I care if none of these guys are going to play in the league? Right. Um, all right. Well, yes. And that, those are really the hardcore NBA guys. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the March Madness still rates, you know, for, as a television program. I think, you know, when you get to, you know, Elite Eight games, Final Four games, and the championship game, you know, right up there, if not higher than the the biggest of the NBA postseason games. Sure, but there was there was definitely more of a buzz last year because of Zion. Definitely, last year was definitely a good year for college basketball because it had a true superstar on a superstar team, right? Uh, as well. Um, what, what else from the game last night? So. They didn't play well defensively in particular. Yeah. Anthony Cowan really took it like in post game was saying that it was probably the worst defensive game he had played in his entire career at Maryland. You could see that there was a lack of real urgency and interest defensively for them. I mean, Nebraska, Fred Hoiberg's team basically was, you know, let's let's play you know, chuck chuck it up. The first open look we get from behind the arc, we're chucking it up. And if not, people are cutting back door and we're going to get layups. They shot 33 threes in the game. It was more than half of their overall field goal attempts were three-pointers. And they only went seven of 33 from behind the arc. But a lot of those were wide open looks. Wide open looks because of bad defense. Um, I was... Uh, interested in and I always am and I'm a hardcore fan and most of you um you know couldn't care less about this but I I watch all of Turgeon's you know press conferences I listen to him with Naki um after the game uh on our station uh, 980 and then uh, on the Maryland Basketball Network and then I always watch his press conference he was very sick um he has a terrible cold you know or something worse I don't know um, and, and said that he missed his first practice in 15 years this week. Yeah. And he took a lot of the blame for them not being ready in this game and said, I didn't coach the game well. I didn't prepare them well. Um, and he did mention, you know, that he missed his first practice in 15 years. You could hear it in his voice. He was also very testy with some of the questions. Were you at the press conference or not? Yeah, he was. He's been getting that way lately. And especially after these losses. It's it's interesting. You want a coach to take take the blame when his team loses, but the way he does it does not come necessarily come off well. Because I mean, how many times have we heard th- this season alone and over his tenure at Maryland, I didn't have the team prepared. He said that an awful lot. Man. It's e- it's it's easier as a head coach to say it after a win, right? You know, than it is after a painful loss. Um, you know, it, to be fair, and and uh, I would p- probably jump on your side uh, on this because a lot of times when they've had painful losses, it's been about you know the players didn't listen in the huddle. We had a play called; it wasn't run very well. And then last night after a win, he t- he took the blame. But look, yeah. I, I'm not I'm nitpicking because yeah. I like Mark and I like and I and I've said 
for several years, he's a good basketball coach. And Maryland fans that think he isn't, you're wrong. Yeah. Okay, again, not Gary, not elite. He said that to me on the radio show a couple weeks. I know I'm not elite, but I'm a damn good basketball coach, which he is. Um, but last night it was really interesting because it's at, at the point in which – Someone asked him about, you know, the performance of some player. He said, look, it's not the kids tonight. It's on me. He said, I, 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 you know, I didn't have him prepared. I didn't, you know, I, I missed a practice this week for the first time in 15 years because I've been fighting something. And, um, and then he said, uh, he said it was very, very sort of um, borderline condescending and, and sort of irked. Um, he said, we are 20 and four, you know, and I think, I think we're in first place in the big 10. Did you hear that one moment? You know, you could tell that he was just, he was not in the mood for talking to the media. Um, I think that Wisconsin game, that back, those back-to-back losses to Iowa and Wisconsin and some of the reaction. And he told me this on the radio show when he was on a week and a half ago or whenever it was that, that really fired him up. It really pissed him off that people were, you know, saying that he wasn't a good coach, saying that they needed to move on from him. He's felt that before um, when he knew what they were going through. You know, they had just had, you know, their their two big guys, their 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 twin big guys leave the program, which I think was, you know, a program decision as much as it was their uh, decision. Um, and... That you know he ha- they they were scrambling there a little bit you know they had a different makeup uh, of their team they needed to play a little bit differently because they didn't have the depth up front in particular he's figured it out okay he's figured it out they've won seven in a row they they stand alone in first place in the Big Ten last night was not a good night it was a step back night for them in terms of their performance but it didn't hurt them they still won the game and I think they will play very well Saturday night. At Michigan State, Michigan State won last night at Illinois. Hell of a game! They had a huge lead, you know, twenty plus point lead. Blew it. Illinois took the lead, um, but Michigan State got a dunk off of a Cassius Winston miss late and won the game uh, by a point. Um, that snapped a three-game losing streak for them. You know, Maryland's going into Michigan State Saturday night as the ninth-ranked team in the country against an unranked Michigan State team. But trust me. Michigan State's one of the best 15 teams in America. It's just that they are playing in this brutal league where they're losing games. And when you lose games, the writers and the coaches that vote in these polls just see it as a loss. They don't recognize that you lost to a really good team, like Penn State, who won again last night. They've won seven in a row. They beat Purdue on the road badly. Man, Penn State's good. Lamar Stevens is really good. Where is he mocked out? He's got to be a first-rounder, right, Stevens? Uh, I see him beginning of the second in this uh, mock I'm looking at right now. I love his game. Um, anyway, good good for Maryland to get through on a night when they would not have won against a, you know most teams in the league. But then again, I don't know that they would have played as poorly um, as they did last night against most teams I'll actually in the take that a different way. It was nice to see them – win a game that in the past few years, if they played that way, they would have lost. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, Nebraska missed a lot of shots, helped helped them out, and Maryland made uh, you know made a couple of 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 plays. The 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 one play being the sticks uh, block shot at the end. They missed a couple of front ends of free throws, which hurt. They turned it over in their press break again. 
um, late, which hurt them. Uh, but they get away uh, with the win, and now they've got some big, big games ahead of them. All right, quick word about Stamps.com. Uh, Stamps.com allows you to do anything you do at the post office right from your computer. If you're a small business and you round up mail all the time and you have people taking packages and stuff to the post office, you don't need to do it that way anymore. All right, You can use Stamps.com. It'll save you time. It'll save you money. They bring all of the services of the U.S. Postal Office right to your computer. Uh, whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending lots of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. You simply use your computer, you print official U.S. postage out, uh, you put it on any piece of mail, it can go anywhere it wants to go, and once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or you drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. You get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters that you might have in your business right now. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses are already using Stamps.com. There's no risk to trying it out if you use my promo code Kevin DC. Go to stamps.com, use my promo code, you'll get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale with no long term commitment or contract required. Stamps.com, click on the mic at the top of the homepage and type in Kevin DC. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Uh, before we get to Trent Williams, just two uh, quick uh, thoughts. Um, about the NBA last night. The Wizards won. They're three games out of eighth place in the East. Three. Uh, that's crazy that they are actually legitimately in the playoff race. They are right now the ninth best team in the East. The top eight go. Orlando's in the eighth spot. And the Wizards are just three games behind the Magic. <clears throat> the, the East is terrible at the bottom. Brooklyn's got a losing record. Orlando's got a losing record. And the Wizards, who are 19-33, and 33, and have won like four out of their, their last six, with one of those losses being an absolute dreadful loss to Golden State at home. I mean, the Warriors are terrible uh, this year. But um, what's interesting about them here recently is that they've actually played a little little bit better defensively. You know, they're giving up 140, 150 on the regular. Last couple of games, you know, 114 last night to the Bulls, 106 in a loss to the Grizzlies, 118 to the Mavericks in that win on Friday night. They did give up 125 to the Warriors. Um, but then in the, their previous two wins over the Hornets and the Nets, it was 107. I don't know if I want them to go to the playoffs or not. If they're the eighth seed, they're just going to get run by Milwaukee. It's not going to matter. Um, but I'm not also one of those fans that is feeling like, oh, well, you're going to miss out on James Wiseman if you're not, you know, in the lottery. I mean, like you said, I mean, a lot of these guys aren't even playing in March Madness, and I don't know about. There's not a clear cut number one unless it's the kid from Georgia, right? I, I think he's. He's not clear-cut, but probably on most mock drafts. It's Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards right now. Um, I like Obi Top, and I like watching him a lot um, at Dayton, but I don't know. This seems like one of those drafts, if you're at 15 or 14, you might have the same chance of getting a great player as if you're at number one. I just think it's crazy that the Wizards are legitimately in the playoff race in the East. And then there is what happened last night. 
between the Pelicans and the Trailblazers. Uh, in New Orleans, Zion Williamson had the best night of his very young career. He's played 10 games so far, and those 10 games already have him in the discussion for Rookie of the Year. Last night against Portland in a 138-117 win over the Blazers, 31 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal. 10 of 17 from the floor. He was 11 for 14 from the free throw line. He is averaging right now 21 points per game, 7.7 rebounds a game, 2.3 assists a game. He has been spectacular already in the 10 games that he's played in. Sat out, you know, most of November, October, November, December, most of January. Made that debut, that much-anticipated debut now three weeks ago, I guess, against the Spurs. Um, He's now played 10 games, and they just keep getting better. Mm -hmm. He is incredibly explosive in the paint in particular. And I heard heard, uh, Richard Jefferson uh, this morning on Get Up on the Greenberg Show say something about um, Zion Williamson that is so true, and that is he's so athletic right now at 19 years old. At 25 years old, he's going to be much more athletic. It's so true. Now, injuries with him will be a concern. Um, the comp for him, is, for me, has been Barkley. Uh, but Zion Williamson's 19 years old, and he's dunking on people every single night here in his first 10 games of his career. When he's 25 and has filled out physically and emotionally and from a confidence standpoint, um, all of those things combined, the NBA is an older person's league. You know, it really is. It's your late 20s, early 30s teams that end up winning in the postseason. You know, those are the great, you know, Kawhi Leonard last year. You know, what Dame Lillard's doing this year. You know, Zion Williamson, we're five, six, seven years away from his prime. And he's already, in his first 10 games, dominating. Um, going to be interesting. John Morant, to me, has been the best rookie so far in the NBA season, and I think he is, you know, the front runner right now for the rookie of the year. But Zion Williamson has a lot of games left. He could certainly change opinions here if he continues to play at the level that he's played at in the first 10 games. Yeah, I mean, John's still a very heavy favorite. but As he uh, should be. I'm kind of surprised the N- NBA didn't figure out a way to get Zion involved in All-Star Weekend. Is he's like the most interesting thing in the NBA right now, and if you're looking for something to showcase, I would have found a way to get him into the weekend. And they're not, as as far as I know, he's not he's not in any of the competition. He might be in the the rookies game or whatever. Uh, I haven't seen the rosters for that, but no, he's not in the All Star game, not in any of those uh, competitions. All right, let's talk about the Redskins. Um, finally, many of you are saying to yourselves. Um, so Trent Williams, the reporting started yesterday late in the podcast with Tommy um, that Trent Williams and Ron Rivera <clears throat> had spoken. I think Ian, Ian Rappaport broke the story. Um, and then Mike Garofolo had some follow-up and Les Carpenter from The Post and our good friend Ben Standing from The Athletic you know, had some follow-up to it. But 
They both, uh, they, they apparently Ron Rivera called Trent Williams, left him a message, and Trent Williams called him back. And they had a conversation, and, you know, according to various people, that conversation went well. I'll let you hear what Ian Rappaport said uh, from NFL Network, what Mike Garofolo said from NFL Network, and then I will read to you what the Post had uh, this morning before we get into um, what we think will happen. Uh, this was Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, describing uh, the uh, conversation between Ron Rivera and, uh, and Trent Williams. Yeah, the Cold War that existed between Trent Williams and the Washington Redskins is thawing a little bit. A significant development in the Trent Williams saga. From what I understand, he has had a very positive phone conversation with Ron Rivera. He actually called Rivera back, which is something that he never would have done if Bruce Allen was still uh, employed by the Washington Redskins or if the training staff was still employed by the Washington Redskins. There was so much bad blood there between Williams and the team. I don't think he was returning any phone calls. And now the fact that he has spoke to Rivera, the next step is for him to come into the facility, explain everything, and start the progress a process of moving forward. At one point last year, all the Redskins wanted to do was trade him. Now it's gone the other direction. They want to keep him. Long road ahead, but this is a significant, significant thing for Washington going forward. That was Ian Rappaport. If you, if you noticed and if you heard what he said there at the very end, um, at one point, all the Redskins wanted to do was trade Trent Williams. Uh, it would not surprise me if they would love for the narrative to be that they tried to trade him and couldn't, but that's not true. They weren't returning calls. I mean, we that was reported multiple times about Bruce Allen not having any interest in trading Trent Williams. Les Carpenter from the Post at one point wrote that the Redskins are going to try to bleed him to death. They have no interest in trading him. The Browns talked about publicly that the Redskins wouldn't even return calls, that they would have been interested in trading a first for Trent Williams. I think the Patriots very early on would have been interested in dealing a first to the Redskins, um, but that was super early on that that could have been part of a conversation um, had the Redskins been interested in dealing Trent Williams. We know what Houston uh, ultimately gave up to Miami um, in in a deal for for their left tackle. So um, the Redskins didn't try to Trent Willi- uh, trade Trent Williams. They were never desperate or all they wanted to do was trade Trent Williams. They they did what they they've always done. They 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 basically defaulted on the side of being petty and small minded. You know that's who they've been over the years. Hopefully that will change with Ron Rivera in the organization. But they didn't want to trade Kirk to to uh, to Kyle Shanahan, and they passed on a first round pick for him. And Trent Williams pissed him off so much with sort of his back channel backstabbing of their medical team. And the Redskins were you know I don't know still to this day who is more you know, uh, culpable or who's closer to the truth. I think in all these situations that we went through with Trent Williams and the Redskins, there's his side, their side, and the truth is somewhere in between. I don't think that Trent Williams is an angel in all of this. I think there was a lot of exaggerating at the very least um, of, of the situation with the Redskins, but clearly this was a major confrontational situation. And given what we know about the organization, um, they weren't very smart most of the time, and they were incredibly small-minded and petty. Um, so it was not their goal to trade him. Uh, at, there may have been at one moment uh, an opportunity where they said, all right, fuck it, we're going to trade him now. But for the most part, um, they, they wanted him to bleed and wanted him to come back 
uh, to the Redskins begging for an opportunity, which uh, never happened, although he did get in just in time to get paid uh, the base salary for 2019. This was Mike Garofolo from the NFL Network talking about this conversation between Ron Rivera and Trent Williams. I know a lot of people are out there saying Bruce Allen is gone. That was Trent Williams' beef was with him. He's gone. So, so yeah, he'll come. Hold on. There's still, there's still a long way to go here. Ian is right when he says things like starting to thaw because this is going to be a process. And now he's entering the final year of his contract. I know he said when yep. he came back last year it wasn't a financial thing, but that's going to be a factor here. Uh, this new regime probably going to have to show Trent Williams a little bit of love there to get him all the way back here. We'll see where this goes. Uh, Garofolo's right. Remember, Trent Williams admitted it, that the the financial was a part of this. He wanted a contract extension. He wanted more guaranteed money. It was about the medical. It was also about the financial. Both things ended up being true. He admitted to both of those things. Okay, so to get Trent Williams back, you're going to have to give him a contract extension. Here's where I am on this situation, okay, because I I thought a lot about it and actually sort of Uh, pondered a lot of it while on the air doing radio this morning, but I've gotten to this position because I think it's a, uh, there's a lot of moving parts here, right? Because they have a massive need with a young quarterback along their offensive line, not just at left tackle, but the two guards right now, Brandon Sheriff and Eric Flowers, both of whom, you know, I think the team would like to keep are not under contract for next year. They may have to franchise Brandon Sheriff to keep him here next year. And you're talking about Dwayne Haskins in what will be the second half of his first full season of playing and starting in games. You know, in in 2020, you, you, those first nine games basically complete the first 16 overall. You got to have an offensive line. They, they, they have a lot of holes right now on paper along that offensive line. But I think you have to think about it in this way. You either fish, which means you're going to give him a contract extension, or you cut bait and you trade him. Those are the two options. You cannot consider as an option Trent Williams coming back and playing for you on that final year of his deal. First of all, I don't know that he would do it. Although I think there's more of a possibility of him doing it now rather than missing a second straight year of playing football. Because now you're getting into, you know, Trent Williams perhaps losing a ton of leverage for that next deal, you know, with that next team because people are going to be rolling their eyes. They're going to be asking questions like, can you play anymore? You haven't played football for two years. I don't see Trent Williams really wanting to miss a second straight season of playing football. But if you're the team, you either sign him to a contract extension or you trade him. Now, the contract extension, the dollar amounts matter. You know, where he ends up, what that extension looks like matters. It needs to go beyond 2020 because you can't bring him back, have him play one year, and then let him hit unrestricted free agency and not get anything for him. You know, you've already done that. You've already, you know, acted like a bunch of asshats already multiple times over the last few years, you know, making one wrong move after another and costing yourself a chance, you know, at future players. I mean, Kirk Cousins could have brought back a first round pick. Trent Williams already more likely than not should have brought back a first round pick. The Redskins should be looking at two firsts and maybe an additional third in the 2020 draft, but they don't have that because they didn't do the right thing. So 
the leverage in trading him has lessened. Okay, he's only got one year left in the deal. The team's going to have to sign him immediately to a contract extension, which they may have had to do last year. But with two years left, if it had been a new situation, he may have gone in and played under his current contract with a different team. He may have done that. He's not going to do that now, and the team's not going to do it. They're going to have to sign him to a contract extension. And then, on top of that, what's becoming very clear to a lot of draft experts is that this draft is loaded in tackle prospects. So if you get one of those teams that really would be interested or was interested in Trent Williams, you know, last summer or early in the season or prior to the trade deadline, now they're looking at the draft prospects saying, eh, we might be able to solve this problem in the draft. Yeah, we're interested in Trent, but we're interested in, you know, we'll give you a second for him. We'll give you, you know, two thirds for him. You know, so they've lost some leverage in, in being able to trade him. Doesn't mean that I, I wouldn't consider doing it because I would. Um, I think this is a long play for the Redskins. I'm thinking long-term. I was last uh, year when the season ended after 2018. I wanted a total reboot, which would have included trading a guy like Trent Williams long before he held out. You know, now who knows what would have happened with his health and how that would have impacted, you know, a potential trade, uh, you know, a year ago, January. But obviously they had the opportunities to do it over the summer and early in the season, um, and they didn't do it. I would personally lean towards trading him because I think the Redskins are a couple of years away from legitimately competing for something. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't think they can't go eight and eight or nine and seven and be in the hunt in November and December because they've got a much better coaching staff and they've got decent young talent and it should be able to perform better than what we saw last year. And you could add Chase Young to the mix. Um, But I just don't see them competing for anything truly meaningful, you know, for a couple of years. And by the time you get to that point, Trent Williams is going to be 33, 34 years old and on the downside of his career, and you would have already paid him another big contract extension, maybe you you need to do it just to keep Dwayne Haskins upright and give Haskins uh, the best chance of developing over the next couple of years, even if Trent Williams isn't going to be your starting left tackle when you're legitimately a Super Bowl contender. I would lean towards trading him. I think what will happen, though, is I think that the Redskins are going to sign him to a contract extension, and that Trent Williams is going to be their starting left tackle next year in 2021 and potentially 2022 as well. Uh, the money matters. You can't be up there in the you know Taylor Lewan uh, area at 16 million per year. Not for him at his age. Not coming off what he came off. Um, he's still a very good player. Um, obviously the relationship has to be one that's non-confrontational and Ron Rivera's got the best chance of creating that atmosphere, uh, with Trent. Um, I think they're going to re-sign him. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I think will happen. What I would personally lean towards hoping happens is that they could trade him and get a, get a first round pick for him prior to the 2020 draft. I think that would be the best thing for the organization long term. And you could use one of the that first round pick to pick a tackle. There are several projected first round picks um, at, at left tackle in this draft. Several. Um, anyway, uh, Les Carpenter uh, had a couple of things in his story about Trent Williams that I thought w- uh, was interesting, or were interesting. Because I don't know that I knew this before, and maybe some of you did, but Les Carpenter wrote in his story on Trent Williams and Rivera being um, having uh, reached out to each other and having had contact. 
He wrote, Rivera has indicated that getting Williams to return is a top priority. One of his first moves was to hire respected trainer Ryan Vermillion, who had been in Rivera's who had been Rivera's team trainer with the Carolina Panthers. At the time, a person familiar with the move said Vermillion's hire was made with Williams in mind. Quote from this person familiar with the move. Quote, one of Ron's top goals is to get Trent back. I know for certain that Ron is going to try to get him back. Closed quote. So we really didn't know what Ron Rivera was thinking about Trent Williams. Now that they've finally spoken, and I don't know why it didn't happen before, but whatever. It happened recently. Um, you know, at least according to Les Carpenter in his story, this is something that Ron Rivera wants. He wants Trent Williams back in the fold. And that's why uh, another reason why I believe that it will be a contract extension. You don't bring him back for the last year of his deal and and try to get him to play on a one-year deal because then you lose him potentially to unrestricted free agency a year from now. You sign him to a contract extension that gives him, you know, a meaningful deal with lots of guaranteed money over the next 3 seasons. If that's what you want, if you want him to play for you, that's what you have to do. You know, and you see him play out his career over his final 3-4 years with this particular team. It's a 3-year deal. It's in the same range that he's earning right now, the 13 to 14 million dollar per year range, which puts puts him in the top 5, top 6 tackles in all of the league. You guarantee an S-load of it, and it's a three-year with maybe a fourth-year option. Or maybe it's a four-year with like a fifth-year team option. Something like that. That's the deal. And it's the last deal, big deal he signs, and you commit to him. Uh, if not, you got to trade him. Um, that would be... Um, I, the fact that, that Ron Rivera, at least according to Les Carpenter's piece, you know, ha, is, is dead set on bringing Trent Williams back... Um, tells you that more likely than not, a contract extension will come. Now, we don't know what Trent thinks. We don't know if he likes Ron Rivera or Ryan Vermillion or any of the new people in the organization, including the new offensive line coach. We don't know anything about what he thinks. And maybe he's still going to demand or ask for a trade. Perhaps that's still going to be his stance. You know, if, if Bruce had just listened to him a year ago or last summer, Again, the Redskins more likely than not would be sitting and preparing for a 2020 NFL draft with a second first round pick, uh, worst case with, you know, a couple of twos and a three or a four. Okay, worst case. Um, and that would have been a good way to go. Uh, again, the lean, uh, the, the, the guess here is that he gets signed to a contract extension. My personal lean would be to trade him. But... I, if they sign him to a contract extension, I'm not going to be upset about it because they really have – there's a bit of a quandary right now for them along the, the, along the offensive line. You know, Eric Flowers played well, not under contract. Wes Martin was a rookie last year. Looks like he can play the position, but he can't play both guard positions. And Brandon Sheriff is not under contract for next year. Can they use the franchise tag on him? Will they use the franchise tag on him? I think if they have to, they will. You can't lose both of your starting guards from last year, right? Can't lose both of them. And then you don't have a left tackle that can start in the NFL under uh, under contract right now. Could you go back and re-sign Donald Penn? Could you make a move on uh, you know, one of the big free agents uh, right now in the NFL at left tackle? Uh, the guy from the Colts? Um, you could. You could, but you know, I have a feeling they're going to ultimately, 
do a deal with Trent Williams. A um, couple of other quick things Redskins related. Do you know who Dan Cilio is? I know the name. Dan Cilio was the guy that um, Bruce Allen used to go on his radio show in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how Bruce Allen knew Cilio or why he was a fan of the Cilio show out in San Diego because I don't know anything about Dan Cilio other than the you know hearing his name over the years. It was always because Bruce Allen had gone on his show, and if you guys recall, you know Bruce Allen came on the station every once in a while, but Bruce Allen did a lot of out of market media much more than he did in market media. Cilio, by the way, started his college career at Maryland. Did he really? Apparently had a year at Maryland, broke Randy White's, uh, a lot of his weight room records, and then transferred out to uh, Miami. He played football with Randy White at Maryland? No, he broke his, uh, he broke his weight room records. What year did he play? Eight, foot- 83. He was a backup on the ACC championship team. Didn't know that. Did not know and that I remember. I remember that team very well. Boomer Esiason, Willie Joyner, Russell Davis. Uh, Chuck Fawcett, Apparently Rick Bedanek. games. Yeah, and then came the Alvin Blount and the Tommy Neal teams. Keita Covington. <laughs> I could go on and on. Anyway, um, he tweeted out the following uh, on Sunday that I found uh, interesting because it dealt with the Redskins. He tweeted out that the, the Chicago Bears have reached out to the Redskins about their number two pick. And Khalil Mack's name is a part of that conversation. So I, I don't know what Cilio knows or doesn't know. I, but the Redskins should be listening to everything at number two overall. They should be listening to everything. Chicago does not have a first-round pick. They've got two number twos. They don't have enough. Yeah, they, they don't have enough. With Khalil Mack and two number twos, it's not enough to get number two overall away from the Redskins, as good as Khalil Mack is. I'd also be very interested to find out why the Bears would be interested in moving on from Khalil Mack, if that's true. That would be the second team that's had him in the last three, four years that has said, as great as you are, we're going to trade you. It's a bit of a red flag. I think it is, anyway. Um, But uh, it's going to require a lot more than that. Um, it got me to thinking also about a couple of things with respect to that number o- number two overall pick that we haven't discussed yet. I don't think we have. Um, the Joe Burrow stuff that came out over the weekend. You know, does he or doesn't he want to play in Cincinnati? If he doesn't, will the Bengals take Chase Young? Might the Bengals take Chase Young anyway at number one overall because he's going to be the number one player on their board? Um, the Redskins... Even if you are like me and believe that Dwayne Haskins has a chance to be the franchise quarterback, and I do think there's a chance he could be that guy, you have to absolutely do all of your due diligence on all of those players at the top of the draft, including the quarterbacks. You got to know everything about Joe Burrow. You got to you got to attend his pro day. You've got to have those sit down interviews with him. You got to get to know Joe Burrow from at, at, at the very least. You have to understand. What Joe Burrow is at number two, if he's there, 
So you can then do the equation of what kind of compensation should somebody give me to move on from that number two pick? Because I know as an organization what Joe Burrow is too, because I've spent just as much time as you have chargers or you have Patriots, or you have somebody else that's interested in jumping up to take them, Lions, or, or anybody, Dolphins. Well, not just Burrow, but Tua. Same with Tua. You got you got, you've got to be thorough on all of this. You have got to, you can't, you have to know in your own mind if Joe Burrow or, you know, one of the two will be there. You have to know in your own mind that you are not making a decision to move on from the next Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. doesn't matter what you think about Dwayne Haskins. You probably don't think Dwayne Haskins is Patrick Mahomes. And if you believe that, but you believe Dwayne Haskins can be a franchise quarterback and maybe a top 10 quarterback, you know, maybe you believe that. But if you believe... After spending the time and evaluating Burrow and Tua, that one of them is Mahomes or Rodgers or Wilson, well, you know, if you're not going to take them, you're then making a big mistake. But number two, then you at least know what somebody's going to have to give up for them to get to that number two spot. Uh, so Tony Pauline is a draft expert, um, with pro football talk. You know, I've, I've had him on the podcast. I've had him on the radio show over the years, profootballnetwork.com. Um, been a, a, a huge, huge NFL draft analyst over the years and a pretty good one. He actually said some things, um, on the radio station yesterday with Doc and Al, about Chase Young that I wanted you to hear. First of all, he did talk about Ron Rivera and how Ron Rivera believes that Chase Young is absolutely worthwhile at number two. Uh, This is the first of two sound bites from Pauline I'm going to play on Chase Young. Here it is. Really from the get-go, when the Skins officially announced Ron Rivera after weeks of speculation that he was going to be their head coach, people close to Rivera told me that Coach Rivera loves the Predator. That is Chase Young, and, and he basically he has an infatuation with them. Doesn't mean that it's a, it's a guaranteed lock they're going to draft him. Uh, it doesn't mean that they may not try to trade down, but right now it seems that Ron Rivera, who's calling the shots in Carolina, has an affection for uh, Chase Young, and why not? <laughs> I mean, Chase Young is, is the highest-rated player on my draft board. Uh, I mean, he's an explosive pass rusher. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded coach. So what better way to start off, you know, your stint in Washington as a defensive coach than drafting a player that's probably one of the best defensive players to to come out of a draft in a long, long time. So that was Tony Pauline um, sort of revealing that, that Rivera really does like Chase Young. Then Pauline said the following, which I found interesting and I hadn't given much thought to with respect to the all-around game of Chase Young. We know what kind of pass rusher he has been at the college level and is projecting to be at the pro level. Um, But apparently, according to Pauline, there are flaws. There are a lot of people uh, in the league that think he's he's overrated uh, to the point where you know, there's, this, there's this, this infatuation, and as you were implying, people think there's no flaws in his game, and, and that's just not true. And what, what happens is sometimes when, you know, people say, uh, somebody hears Tony Pauline say, well, people think that Chase Young is overrated, it's somehow I don't like him, or people are lying to me. No, that's not the case. The fact is this, 
I mean, he's a liability against the run. He doesn't have a big, stout frame, but he's only a junior. That should come in time as he physically matures, as he gets into an NFL weight training program. So there's some concern as to how he's going to hold up against the run at the next level. It's also the situation that he basically disappeared at the end of the season against Michigan, against Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game, and especially in that college football playoff game against Clemson. You know, he came close to making plays, but he didn't make any big impact plays, especially when the Ohio State team needed him to, to, to make a play, to step up and make a play. That's going to be a point of conversation when he gets in those combine interviews. You know, what happened during those games? Why did you kind of disappear at the end of the season? So I, I think that he's an explosive athlete. When you compare him to the Boses, He's probably more explosive than, than Joey or Nick Boza. He's probably a better edge rusher. Technically, he needs some. He needs to work on some things where the Bozas were much more refined in their technique. I also think the Bozas, especially Nick Boza, was a better player against the run. Those are the knocks, and those are the legitimate knocks on Chase Young. There's no perfect prospect out there. There, there never was. I mean, even Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning was not a perfect prospect when he entered the league. That was Tony Pauline um, on Chase Young. A lot there. Um, you know, I haven't really talked about Chase Young as a run stopper, you know, at the position, which you have to. You know, you've got to consider what kind of run defender um, he is. Uh, I And I think part of it is because if you were a college football fan the last year or two years, you were just caught up uh, in the kind of pass rusher he is, the explosiveness, the quick twitch, the, the multi-moves um, uh, pass rusher that, he, that he's developed into, dominant at the college level. I mean, truly dominant at the college level. I totally disagree with Pauline on the semifinal game against Clemson. We've talked about that a lot um, since that game. There, there is this uh, narrative that came out of that game that he played poorly and didn't rise to the occasion. And statistically, statistically, that's true. But you can't evaluate, you know, you can't be a box score reader um, if, if you're really going, going to try to evaluate a player's game. If you watched that game, he did not have a bad game. He had multi-pressures. He was doubled m- much of the night, at times chipped as a thir- by a third guy. All of Clemson's focus was on stopping Chase Young in that semifinal game, and they had a spectacular quarterback. I mentioned this about Nick Bosa in the Super Bowl. Like, if he had been playing against just a good quarterback instead of a great quarterback, he probably would have had six or seven sacks. If you go back to that Clemson game, if he had been playing against a good quarterback instead of Trevor Lawrence, okay, he'd have had multiple sacks. He had multiple pressures in the game. He was a factor in the game. Don't, don't, if you know anything about football and you watch that game, you know that Chase Young was a factor and impacted that game. Now, um, you know, d- d- Trevor Lawrence was phenomenal in that game, and I, I, I still think that Ohio State was the better team and would have provided a better um, national championship matchup for LSU, even though Clemson obviously had the lead in the first half. But um, with that said, you know, you still have to in, in the NFL, you got to stop the run too. You know, you. I, I want to watch a lot more tape, you know, and a lot more, uh, you know, some of the game footage of Chase Young against the run. That intrigued me a little bit because if he's not a great run stopper and he's a one-trick pony as a pass rusher, that's okay. But I don't know that it, you know, it warrants the, you know, the discussion of absolutely can't consider anybody else at number two. If he is just a you know, an edge rusher, a third down pass rusher, and he will be a good one 
At the, he'll be very good. The Redskins won't have anybody on the roster as good as him at doing that, and they will not have had anybody on the roster in many years that can that can rush the passer like Chase Young will be able to do at the next level. With that said, if he's a one-trick pony and he's a third-down guy and he's just a pass rusher and they're running at him all game, you know, th- that's a big deal in the NFL. It's a big deal. you you, you got to be able to do both. You know, if you're that one-trick pony, that's fine, but that doesn't warrant the number two pick in the draft. You know, Khalil Mack is not just a pass rusher. Lawrence Taylor, Von Miller, not just pass rushers. You know, you, you had Robert Mathis. Okay, Robert Mathis was a, a, a third-down pass rusher. Okay, not an every-down player. You know, playing with Freeney when he was in Indianapolis, Freeney a, a more all-around player. Mathis, a one-trick pony. Freeney, you'd think about really high in the draft. Mathis, not at number two overall. So one of the things between now and the draft, we've got to have some of these guys on. We've got to look at it ourselves to find out whether or not it, it's true that Chase Young is does have flaws and that you know his ability to stop the run is one of them. I bet he can stop the run when we look at it better than maybe Tony Pauline um, is saying. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, some interesting stuff there about um, about uh, Chase Young from a guy that I've actually really enjoyed having on the show over the years, Tony Pauline um, from the Pro Football Network. Uh, you know, he said something else too. Pauline was a big guy. We had him on last year before the draft, I'm pretty sure. He was a big Dwayne Haskins guy. He had Haskins as the number one overall pick in the draft. Um, quarterback, I'm sorry, the number one quarterback uh, in the draft last year. Um, he had a couple of things to say um, about Dwayne Haskins after seeing him play at the NFL level. And one of the questions he answered um, was, uh, and I think Galdi asked the question, where would Dwayne Haskins rank in this year's draft? He had him as the number one quarterback in last year's draft. Where would he rank Dwayne Haskins uh, as a quarterback in this year's draft? This is what he said. Probably three or four. I was very big on Haskins. I, I mean, I, I saw a guy who there weren't too many bumps in the road. His, his one year at Ohio State when he started, he was a guy who really, I thought, carried that team well. Uh, I, I, I think that you could say that Justin Herbert is probably the more complete package as far as NFL ready. But the problem with Justin Herbert is if you've watched him the past two years, he never seems to come through in a big spot for Oregon. He, he consistently failed. Whenever they needed a big play to seal the game, whenever they needed a big touchdown drive, whenever they needed just to keep the sticks moving, Justin Herbert fell short. Justin Herbert really needed everything around him, the running game, the defense, special teams to work well for Oregon to win, where I think Dwayne Hackins really was a, was a better playmaker at Ohio State. So I, I think right now he would, it, it would have been nip and tuck between uh, him and Herbert uh, for that number three spot, but I, I, I had an affection for Dwayne Haskins. I probably would have ranked him number three. There you go. Uh, obviously, he didn't say it, but it would have been in this year's draft behind Burrow and Tunga Viola, right? I mean, th- th- those are the only uh, yes. other two. Um, I, w- I'm, I was not a big fan of Justin Herbert either. I, I don't. I'm not a big believer in him at the next level. In some of the same, re- for some of the same reasons that last year I wasn't a huge believer in Haskins. I've turned on Haskins. You got to watch. I mean. We don't get these right. In fact, you know, the a good draft over a ten year period is to hit on like thirty five percent of the picks. Um, that's a pretty good drafting record. Um, I 
I, I wasn't a huge Haskins guy uh, for the same reasons. I think Her- Herbert looks sort of slow. He doesn't come through all the time in the clutch, throws some balls at sail a little bit at times. Um, I'm I, watching Herbert at Oregon, not, not blown away in terms of his pro prospects, uh, very much so about Joe Burrow. But again, uh, he might turn out to be uh, a guy a year from now. I like much more after seeing him play at the NFL level. Um, anyway, two more things to get to. Uh, one is sort of a, uh, breaking news thing right now as we're recording the podcast, Doc Walker on his radio show this morning on 980 with, with Galdi, the show that follows mine from seven to 10 AM theirs goes from 10 to one. Um, he, uh, got off the phone. He talked to, to Quentin Dunbar on the phone this morning and Dunbar said that he isn't requesting to be traded or released and just wants to know where he stands also said that he is set to meet with Ron Rivera on Thursday, so this appears to be salvageable. So that's good news. Um, Doc doing a good job on on getting that from Quentin Dunbar, um, that he is not requesting to be traded or released, just, just wants to know where he stands, and he's set to meet with Ron Rivera on Thursday. Uh, before I get to this last thing, don't forget, um, you can listen to the show via our app. We've got an app that you can download, the Kevin Sheehan Show app. Um, also on our website, thekevinsheehanshow.com, and all of the podcast platforms that are out there, um, the you know Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all the Apple platforms, um, we're available on all of them. And just a quick reminder, I mentioned it a minute ago, but uh, I am back on radio. I've been on radio, back on radio for four or five months now. Is it four or five months? August, September, October, November, December? No, six months. Six months. Six months now. Um, back on the Team 980, uh, 7 to 10 a.m. on weekday mornings. So this last thing before we run for the day. Actually, two more things because I just read this. Antonio Brown uh, apparently has apologized to Ben Roethlisberger. He now realizes he had it really good with Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, This guy needs serious help. Um, But he apologized via Instagram to Ben Roethlisberger. But here's the last thing that I I really wanted to get to. Somebody sent this to me last night. It's a sporting news story. Uh, Vinny Iyer is the writer. And it's titled, Why the Redskins are Phillip Rivers' Best Fit in 2020 NFL Free Agency. He's essentially suggesting that Phillip Rivers would be a perfect fit for the Redskins. And there are a couple of reasons he says this. Number one is, and I sort of forgot about this, Ron Rivera was the defensive head coach you know, coordinator in San Diego during, you know, some prolific years for Rivers from 2008 to 2010. And Norv Turner was the head coach with Phillip Rivers back then. Scott, his son, is the offensive coordinator in Washington. And he believes, this writer believes, Rivers to be the perfect bridge quarterback to Dwayne Haskins. You know, a year, two years, and then you turn it over to Haskins at that point. Uh, This is not going to happen. Um... The Redskins really can't afford Philip Rivers with the Alex Smith, you know, contract hanging over their heads. Uh, they're going to have to sign a quarterback. I think we all recognize that. And if you believe what I believe, and that is that Alex Smith is never going to play again, you're going to have to probably sign two quarterbacks. You know, a veteran backup for Haskins, and then you know you're going to have to you know sign an undrafted free agent rookie just just for for training camp purposes. Um, but I think, you know, if 
the Redskins ended up pursuing a free agent veteran star quarterback. You know, the Breeze, Brady, Rivers, you know, situation. And I'd even put Bridgewater into that conversation because Bridgewater's not going somewhere to be a backup. He's going somewhere to start, in my in my opinion. Then they're telling you exactly what they think of Dwayne Haskins right now. And you could look at it as a bridge, but if you're really a, a believer in Haskins, you're playing him next year. You're, he's starting next year, and you're getting him 16 games so that he is teed up and ready to go in 2021, 2022, when you believe you've got a chance to contend for something. Um, you still think Rivers to Tampa or Indy? Tampa or Indy both make the most sense to me. Uh, the the only Tampa I pause just because I, I still wonder – the Jameis thing, but I think it's one of those two. Can you imagine if the Redskins signed him? I would be, like, I'm just a huge Rivers fan, as many of you know. I think it would be make next year so interesting, and that move would sell some tickets. Yeah, I don't think he's going to a place where he has to comp- uh, Maybe not. No, he wouldn't he's... be coming here to compete. He'd be coming here as a bridge to the Haskins era. Yeah. One I, to two I, years, and, and then turning I, it over to Haskins. I just don't see the Redskins doing it. Oh, that. I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. All right, we're done for the day. Enjoy the day back tomorrow with Tommy. Uh, and uh, are there any big games tonight? I don't think there are any big games. Any big college games tonight? West Virginia, Kansas. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Kansas hasn't lost in a while. Yeah. All right, um, enjoy the day.